you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 8. I love those videos, Matt and Garth. Good job for that, putting those together. It's great for us to be able to see what camp is actually like, so few of us uh, get to go. Um, That camp is owned by the Kentucky Baptist Convention. It's only about an hour away from here and is a huge blessing to our state and to all the churches here that our kids get to go and have such a great time at a place like that. And yet the ministry of crossings is also so focused on Christ and the gospel and the word of God. And so we are thankful and our, our youth have already gone and here in July Uh, Matt and Liz will lead our kids' ministry group there, and they'll go back to that same camp. Camp is about having fun. It is so much fun. It's exhausting. Kids love it. And yet, camp is about having fun as a way of opening up a beautiful door and opportunity to point them to Christ, the Savior. There are statistics everywhere that show that many people come to faith in Christ as kids. That's important for us to understand and to embrace. It's not something where the church is trying to catch kids before they get too old to trick them into believing in God. It's something that God has taught us to do, to pour in to younger generations. The Bible tells us to do that. If we do not teach kids how to know God and love God and follow God because God knows them and loves them and is leading them through Christ, then there is more of a likelihood that they will grow up and live their lives in ways that will harm them and break their hearts. And we want kids to know God. This is what God wants. And so we are excited about all of the youth and student and kids' ministries that happen in the summer. Not only Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights at our church all summer long, but camp for the youth in June and camp for the kids in July, and then this week for Vacation Bible School. Church, it is important, imperative that we want to see people coming to faith in Christ, that we are hoping and praying and literally working to see kids trust in Christ. We're praying for that this week. We want kids to know him. I didn't exactly grow up in church, but through some kids in youth ministries, I got saved when I was 12 years old. I remember that. I remember how it went down. I remember the first time that somebody told me about Jesus dying on the cross for me. I didn't believe at that time. They asked me if I wanted to. I was in a group with some other people, and I said no. But I vividly remember that the next time that I was in position to hear the gospel, and they preached that Christ died for me, and he would forgive me of my sins That God brought me under conviction and changed my heart and saved my life. I remember saying, 
I don't want to believe. I'm not ready to believe. I'm not ready to commit. And then I remember being a totally 180-degree difference from that and saying, yes, I want to. I want to follow Christ. I want to ask him to forgive me. And now I'm 42. It's been 30 years. And not once, not even once have I thought that as a young person I was duked into signing up for this. But my life has been that God changed me. God saved me. God set my heart toward Christ. And church, that is what we want to keep happening in the lives of young people. That's why we labor and love. That's why we work and contribute. That's why we minister. That's why we're here. And that's why tonight so many of us will show up and volunteer in every different angle to help the ministry point kids to Christ. May we be desiring that young people continue to get saved and trust in Christ. Well, our passage today in Revelation chapter 8, and we took a break last week from our study in Revelation, and Matt preached a wonderful sermon on Father's Day. But the week before that, we started at chapter 8. We looked at the first five verses. Today, we will pick up at verse 6 and go all the way to verse 12. And we have moved now into the seven trumpets. We're a little bit familiar with this idea because we've already been through the seven seals. Now the trumpets and later in Revelation are the seven bowls. But the reason why I began with all that talk about kids is not just because of camp and VBS, but because our passage today is very heavy on that we need to turn to God. The purpose of God's judgments are to get our attention and to point us to turning back to him. We cannot live our lives ignorant of God or indifferent to God or ignoring God and just going in whatever direction we're going with never considering, should I change? Should I stop? Should I make some changes? Should I go in a different direction? And the answer to that is, yes, we should. We should turn to God. The word repent means to turn. Turn away from sin in whatever direction we're going and turn to God. And when we see these judgments being played out in the book of Revelation, they are to get us to repent. What true Christianity is, is not camp was fun or VBS was a great week and I just want to have more of that in my life. But they are fun events to introduce us to Christ and his love for us in hope that we would repent and turn to God. Read with me at Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hell and fire. Mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. 
And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. This is a peculiar passage, isn't it? In so many ways, we just read seven verses in God's word in the book of Revelation, and we are more confused at the end of it than we were at the beginning. That should not be the case. And so I hope here over the next few minutes that you and I would be pointed to God, that we would be moved to turn to God, that we would be repentant people. Let me remind you of what's been happening in Revelation. In chapter 1, we get introduced to Christ. John gets this vision. He has a vision of Jesus, and Jesus now reveals this letter to him. Chapters 2 and 3 are these seven different little messages or letters to seven different real churches. Chapters 4 and 5 are this scene of the throne in the center of heaven and all of the worship that's going on in heaven around the throne. Chapter 4 kind of focuses on all of creation, worshiping God and Jesus. Chapter 5 focuses on all of the redeemed, all of the ransomed, worshiping him. Then you get to chapter 6 and we have the seven seals. And the seven seals each opened up are judgments. Judgments that we see being poured out on the world. And we walked through those. The first four were clumped together. Remember the four horsemen? The fifth was the crying out of the martyrs, the prayers of the martyrs. The sixth was the end of the world, the the ultimate judgment. And then the seventh trumpet introduced, I mean the seventh seal introduced these seven trumpets. And so it just keeps on moving. This is where we find ourselves now. But before we went from the the six seals to the seventh seal, we had a break, which was chapter seven, which was yet another picture of heaven and all the redeemed around the throne worshiping Christ. And then after that, at the beginning of chapter eight, is the seventh seal. And that's what we looked at and studied Two weeks ago. Chapter 8, verse 1 says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And there were prayers. You remember me preaching on that. There were the prayers of all the redeemed going up to God before the trumpets are blown. And then starting here at verse 6, we have these trumpets. And they are clearly God's judgments upon the world. And, like we see with the seals, the first four are clumped together. 
And they don't seem nearly as heavy and as intense as the last three. If you look at verse 13 right now, look what it says. Remember, this is after the fourth trumpet. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Next week, we're going to study that very verse, those three woes that coincide with the final three trumpets. They're more intense. And so that shows us that the first four trumpets go together, which is very similar to the first four seals. And so there are some similarities between the seals and the trumpets. Now, the big question about these trumpets, okay, well, there's lots of big questions about these trumpets, but one of the big questions about these trumpets is what are they talking about? And so just real quickly, let's just look at actually what the Bible says. The first trumpet is a judgment toward earth, hell, fire, and blood on the land. You see that in verse 7. The second trumpet is judgment on the sea. You have a burning mountain thrown into the sea. You see that in verses 8 and 9. The third trumpet is on the rivers and springs. And a burning star falls on the rivers and springs. You see that in verses 10 and 11. Verse 11 also brings up Wormwood being the name of the star. Wormwood, nobody knows exactly what all that is, but it's a bitter, a bitter thing, a bitter plant. The fourth trumpet in verse 12 is a judgment on the sky. The sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened. Clearly, these judgments are not only on people, but on all of God's creation. I bring that up to remind you that the Bible teaches us because of sin in the world that all of creation is under the curse due to sin. All of creation is under a curse from God due to sin. This is a fundamental and foundational belief of Christian people. This is what the Bible teaches. Everything in this world is bothered, frustrated, tainted by sin. It's a fallen world. We long for God to come and fix it. We long for heaven. We long for eternity. I loved how Matt prayed during the scripture reading time when he ended his prayer by saying, Come, Lord Jesus. Tonight we begin VBS, and there is a ton of preparation that's gone into this. There will be 100 kids here tonight and lots of volunteers. It's going to be a great night. And yet, because of the groaning that this life presents to us, we would still prefer VBS to not happen and Christ come back before it. That is the heart of the child of God. 
Nothing would be better than for Jesus to come back and end it all and make all things new. End sin and evil and death. These passages, and specifically these first four trumpets and judgments, remind us of that. Remind us that the world is groaning. That's why we read that passage from Romans chapter 8. That all of creation is groaning. We too. And sometimes it may be a disease. Sometimes it may be just evil and tragedy. Sometimes it may be a little more personal, like loneliness and low self-esteem, depression or anxiety. But none of us are excused from recognizing this life causes us to groan. The Bible wants us to see that this is because of the curse that the world is under because of sin. And the answer, the only answer to that is to turn back to God. To see in him love like we could never be loved. Hope, meaning he is in charge and we trust him. Comfort, that we are his and he is our father in heaven. These first four trumpets go together and they are clearly judgments upon the world and specifically upon his creation. And ultimately, since we live in this world, then it also affects humanity, earth, Sea, rivers, springs, and sky. But we have to also admit that in reading this, we're like, wow, that sounds crazy. It's hard to even imagine something of that magnitude going down. And I said earlier that the big question is, what is this? But the big, another big question that comes out when you read of the trumpets is when. When is this going to happen? And for so many years, people have emphasized, I dare say overemphasized, the when of when this is going to be. But I want you to know this morning that that is not the most important question. When, when, when. And we cause ourselves to lose the emphasis of more important things when all we focus on is the when. We've got to be careful with that. More important than when is this going to happen is are we ready for it when it does happen? Or questions like why is it happening? Or how is this happening? And am I ready in the happening? That's so much more important than the when. Now, one of the answers to when, because that is a question that people are always asking is that every bit of this is something big and something future. There are people that think that way. It very well could be. I have zero problem with you thinking that. This is not going to divide us. Lots of people think that this is all something future, something big that could be coming. And I'm okay if you think that. I do not think that. I think... That these judgments, the seals and the trumpets, are talking about all of God's judgments on his creation from the time that Christ was here, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the time that Christ left, all the way until the end. So it includes 
the future. It includes everything getting worse. I do think everything is going to get worse until Christ returns. It includes all of that. So these judgments speak of not only something big and future, but all of the judgments that God brings upon his world until the end. In that way, the seals and the trumpets are basically the same thing from two different perspectives, seen in a little bit of a different light. Clearly, the seals were seen from the perspective of believers. The prayers of the saints experiencing that suffering are in it. This one, this, the trumpets, looks like it is seen a little bit more from the perspective of the dwellers of earth, the unbelievers. And let me show you just one little thing that I think helps with this, okay? I'll show you a little bit. Look at the first trumpet, verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. All right? So here comes a judgment. You've got hell, you've got fire, you've got blood. One of the things that you see in the trumpets that, that, that people talk about a lot is you are, you are thrown back to the judgments uh, in Exodus of the plagues, right? We think of hell, we think of fire, we think of blood. The, these judgments that came out in Egypt in Exodus, right? You see a lot of similarities here. But the result of this in verse 7 is that a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up. So those are the thirds. And the thirds are really big here in this chapter with the, with, the, with the trumpets. But look at the next line. Okay, look at the next line. And all green grass was burned up. Does everybody see that? So after this first trumpet, this judgment coming on the world, green grass is gone, right? Does everybody see that? All right, skip over with me to chapter 9, verse 4. This is the fifth trumpet, and I told you they're bigger. Look at chapter 9, verse 4. They were told, okay, they were told, these are the locusts that are coming in the judgment of the fifth trumpet. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, the reason why I show you that right now is because that just raises all kinds of questions, right? If all the grass went away at the first trumpet, how is he talking about grass at the fifth trumpet? And so what I'm wanting to point out is this stuff is not always to be taken literal. These things are symbolic. These things are imagery of pointing us to the judgments of God. So when we try to wrestle so much with when is this going to be and what is this going to be, it's really hard to find answers on that. But what we do know is that God sends judgment to be warnings to us that we would turn back to him. I have two points today as we study these four trumpets. The first is judgments as warnings for our kids using a listening page. We need to hear that. Judgments as warnings. We don't just read of this first trumpet and we hear of everything being burnt up or a third of things being burnt up and we only ask things, well, what is that and how is that and that'll be weird and has it happened, is it going to happen, what's it going to be like, when's it going to be, will I be here, will I experience? And we ask those questions that don't move us to God. 
Instead, we are to hear if God is doing that to his world that you and I live in, what does that mean for us? And that means that we are to turn to him. Commentator Wilcox says the supernatural events of the Bible are concerned not with how, but with who and with why. And the answer to that is that we are to repent. We are to turn to him. Judgments are to be warnings for us. When we hear of the one-third, 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 there is a tendency for you and I to go think, oh man, that's really bad. Imagine if one-third of this went away or one-third of this went away. Imagine if all of a sudden one day crazy in the future there was no more grass. And we get to thinking like that. But on the other side of that, if we think, is that two-thirds of the creation is not affected. A majority, two-thirds are not. Commentator Schreiner says, the message communicated is that living in this world does have many benefits. Two-thirds of the world is unaffected. But we are to know that God's judgments strike the world on account of sin. We are to be people that hate sin in the world. We hate evil. We hate wrong. We hate bad things. And any and every time that we are experiencing a sense, a sort, a type of judgment in the world, something that is not good happening, it is to turn us to him. We are to see that as a warning. There are lots of warnings in this life, aren't there? We were swimming at a pool the other day, a public pool, and the whole pool was only three and a half feet. That's how public pools are. They don't make them real deep anymore. And on the side of the pool, they have one of those little blocks that said, no diving. It's a good warning, isn't it? Imagine if you thought that pool was one of those nine-feet pools, and you went and did your best dive like that in a three-and-a-half. That would be bad, wouldn't it? Warnings are good for us. But we also know that a judgment seems to warn us even more than just a warning. A judgment as a warning really gets our attention. If you take off today for running to the store or, or going out to lunch and you head down to Gene Snyder, You'll see bump in the road sign. You'll see caution. You'll see a, a, a bridge ices before road. You'll hear, you'll see some curve signs slow down. You'll see speed limit signs everywhere, right? There, there are signs warning us the whole way. Do they get you to slow down and brake and proceed with caution? Perhaps, and I hope so. I hope we're a bunch of good drivers here. But you know what will get you to hit the brakes more than all of those signs combined? A cop car on the shoulder facing this way with a police officer standing outside his door with his radar gun like that. You've seen that before, haven't you? Or a cop car on the other shoulder with the blue lights on and him having somebody pulled over. Which one causes you to hit the brakes better? You drop your phone, you put your seatbelt on. Sometimes we turn the radio off to get safer, right? 
And that judgment warns you more than anything, doesn't it? The signs have been there all along. Hey, the speed limit's this. And you maybe think about it. Maybe it does something to you. But a judgment does something to you. How many times have you and I been through a tragedy? A young person dying, a family breaking up, something big, something bad. And we have looked around and seen many people involved far from God. And we have said, this is so unfortunate. I hope and I'm praying that God will use this to bring people to himself. We say that all the time. Because we know that judgments from God serve as good warnings. When we see these judgments in these trumpets, you and I are to be thinking, God hates sin. He is the judge, the good, loving, holy, and righteous judge. And he will judge this world. And until the final judgment, as he sends judgments, you and I aren't standing around asking lots of questions that add more confusion. You and I are to be thinking, we need to turn to God. We need to trust God. We need to believe. We need to walk by faith. We should recognize judgments as warnings. But not only that, we are to recognize that warnings give us time to repent. That's number two. Warnings give us time to repent. Or for the kids listening page, as warnings as time to repent. Now, remember, our passage today is just the first four trumpets. And you get into chapter 9, and there is much more attention given to the other trumpets. But I want to show you why this is so clear. Because, again, you're asking the when, the what, the why, the how. Turn over to chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Okay, this is after the sixth trumpet. Look what it says in verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The Bible grieves here after these judgments, that God sending judgment on his world doesn't move people to turn to God. And that there would still be people indifferent or calloused or so self-centered or hard-headed that they would continue going in a direction without turning to God. The Bible suffers 
Or the Bible shows us a heart of people suffering because they refuse to turn to God. Oh, that you and I would really feel this in our day. As our world continues to be divided and polarized over seemingly every opinion and issue in the world. May you and I feel that every person needs God. They need to repent. They need to recognize warnings as a time to repent. I want to show you this from a gospel passage with Jesus. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I think you can find that. Sometimes passages are hard to find, and so I say don't turn there. But I think you can find Luke 13. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books. But I want you to see this in Luke 13. There have been some tragedies in their current day. And so they come to Jesus asking about them. It's very similar to our context today. Something wild happened. Some tragedy happened. Some people are killed. What do we do about this? What do you think about this? Hey, what do you think's going on with this? Did you see this happening right? There's all that going on. And I want you to see Jesus' response in Luke 13. Verse 1. Luke 13, 1. There were some present at that very time who told him, that's Jesus, about the Galileans and whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Sounds awful, doesn't it? It'll be all over the news. This is a terrible, horrible thing. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Really, like a striking response from Christ. In the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of questions, in the midst of discussing who's worse, whose fault is this, who's the worst sinner here, who should we blame here, who's wrong in this, in all of that, Jesus tells them you need to turn to God. You need to repent. Without repenting, you die without a Savior. It immediately goes into verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So this doesn't seem to be like a sinful act. This just seems to be a tragedy, an unfortunate circumstance. A tower fell and 18 people died. We don't really know anything else about that. And look what Jesus says. No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Two different questions, two different situations, two different unfortunate things that we very well might call a type of judgments in the world where Christ says to them, you need to repent, turn to God. Whatever is the issue of our day one, there are many messages and many responses and good, helpful responses. But one of the responses, and perhaps the most important response of all, is we need to turn to God. We need to trust him. We need to bow our knee and humble ourselves and turn back to God. In this way, 
these trumpets, these judgments, whether they're future or whether they're all judgments that are going on, uh, like I'm saying, serve us as a time to repent, a wake-up call, if you will. Wilcock writes, paradoxically, therefore these judgments are really kindnesses. And I want to be very careful even saying that. The seals showed the suffering church pleading for justice to be done. But the trumpets show the wicked world being offered mercy. God did that so that they would repent. Haven't you felt before in your life that somebody you know is very far from God, going down a road you didn't wish they would go down, and you have said to God before, God, do something, whatever, to get their attention. The trumpets serve in this way as judgments that God brings on the world, even crazy sounding with earth, sea, rivers, springs, hell, fire, blood, burning mountains, falling stars. Whether that stuff is actual, literal, or symbolic, I don't really know. But the point of it is to get us to see God is judging the world. He's ultimately going to finally judge the world, and you and I need to repent. We need to say, I want my life to be about him. And not fear-driven primarily. As we know, it's good to fear the Lord. That's healthy. We have a reverence. We have a respect. We fear him in a healthy way. Because we know more of the message too. The only message in the Bible is not God's going to judge you and he's about to send a burning mountain to fly and crush your house. That's not God's whole message. The message is that the judge of the world gave his son to suffer the judgment already before that judgment comes so that you would escape the judgment. And the Bible uses that language. We don't just read these four trumpets and think that's the whole message of the Bible. We read these four judgments, these four trumpets, in light of what we already know so much about Christ. In light of the very one, in chapter one, in all his strength and power and glory, where John falls dead at his feet. John falls down dead at his feet, and Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Fear not. I'm your loving Savior. Man, I died for you. You're as safe as safe can be. You're in my hand, you're in my midst, you're in my love, you're in my security. I'm the savior of the world, I'm the king of kings. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. You're mine and I'm yours. It's that loving God that judges the world. And he tells us in his judgments, turn to me. Let the mountains, let the stars, let the seas, let them face the judgment so that you don't believe. We don't want kids to show up tonight so we can scare them into trusting in Christ. We want kids to come here tonight so they will know that God loves them. And Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And upon trusting in him, they will not be judged for their sins. There's no question about it that kids sin. And there's no question about it that kids that sin grow up to be adults that sin. We can vouch for that. We want them to be forgiven of their sins. 
And the Bible gives us warnings of this. Turn back to Revelation chapter 8 as we start to wrap up. And actually, move on over to Revelation chapter 16. Warnings as a time to repent. I did a funeral yesterday that was one of the hardest I've ever done. Absolutely heartbreaking, devastated. As a 36-year-old man died. There was so much crying and suffering in that funeral home. He had two teenage kids who were devastated. His mom's devastated. His grandmother was devastated. It was a hard one. And as I just stood there off to the side as they passed by the casket, you just sit there thinking and grieving and suffering there in the midst of how bad this life can be. And just about 10 feet over to the side, I saw a young lady. She had to be probably in her 20s, maybe 30 years old. I guess she was like an aunt. Had pulled aside those two teenage boys. She said, look at me in the eyes. What happens in this life doesn't matter as much. Look at me. What matters is God. What matters is heaven. And if you will believe in him and repent of your sins, and if you will trust him, you'll go to heaven and you'll be there forever with him. And all of the suffering and all of this and all of this ugliness and all of this, I'm standing right there as the preacher just going, everybody's crying all around me. And right over there, there's a lady that's pulled aside a couple teenagers and she's telling to them, heaven's a real place. Trust God. Jesus died for you. He loves you. Don't let this cause you to run further away. Let this cause you to turn to him. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of judgments. This is the message of warnings. It is a time for us to repent. Schreiner says in chapter 8, The first four trumpets communicate God's judgment on land, sea, rivers, and skies. We see every realm of life is touched by human sin. Thus, the description should not be interpreted literally. Instead, we have a vivid and exaggerated picture of devastating judgments encompassing the entire world. The judgments striking earth during this present evil age are designed to bring people to repentance. And the failure to repent demonstrates that God's judgments are just. If we do not turn to God because we don't believe him or we don't like him or we don't think he's real, then it only proves that he should be judging us, that he should be judging our sinful world. At Revelation chapter 16, These are now the bowls. So I want you to see some similarities from the seals to the trumpets to the bowls. At Revelation chapter 16, look at verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, 
And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Look at verse 11. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. God's judgments are coming on people that don't trust him. But in his mercy, he brings the judgments in a way that gives us time to repent. Helpful warnings. When I was learning to drive, in North Carolina, you learned to Well, let me say, in the 90s, you learned to drive when you were 13. Because when you were 14, you could take the class of driver's ed. Because the day you turned 15, you could go get your permit. So that the day you turned 16, you could be a full driver without any restrictions. That's how it was. My dad taught me to drive a stick shift truck when I was 13. So that as soon as I turned 14, I could go take the written test. So as soon as I turned 15, I could be driving. And what I learned is if there's a cop way down the road, an oncoming car will do what? Flick his lights at you, won't you? And sometimes you're like, why is he doing that? Is there some, what's going on? Man, you trying to blind me over here. Man, turn your brights off. I know it makes you mad when we have our brights on. Sometimes we forget. But then every once in a while, you're driving down the road, and you're going too fast at night, and an oncoming car flicks the lights, and you're like, what, you know, what was that? And you get a quarter mile up the road, and sure enough, sitting over there to the side, you think, whoa, if that car, had not flicked its lights at me, he'd have got me. And so you're not going to be able to thank the fella, but you think to yourself, I'm glad he flicked those lights at me. We're not here trying to be harsh and judgmental. We're simply showing you the judgments that God is introducing in Revelation. God in his kindness as a father in heaven, is warning us to turn to him. Turn to God. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Surrender your heart, your life. Bow your knee. Say, God, you are Lord, and I want my life to be about you. God, I was wrong. God, forgive me. God, help me. I turn to you. May we see judgments as warnings and warnings as time to repent and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you work in our lives to get us to turn to you. God, we can think of our testimonies of what happened in our life that brought us to the point of trusting in you. We can think of seasons in our life marked by suffering and trials and hardship where we thought, I need to turn. Even now, God, as we deal with complications and frustrations, we turn to you in prayer. You use this fallen world to get our attention, to break us down. Oh, Father, may we not be those who will not turn. God, we pray 
that you would lead us to repentance. Father, we pray that you would not judge us because you have judged your son Jesus for us. Father, we worship you today, the holy and true judge and the loving Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.